Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast post game edition. I'm Matt Frame, Eric Sculpt, and Jared Mack on the show. The Oregon Ducks walk out of what ended up being a dry and somewhat sunny Saturday night at Autzen Stadium, uh, only in part because there was a lightning delay that kind of pushed the game back a little bit, which included a monsoon, but nonetheless, a dry football game. Uh, Oregon Oregon walks out of Watson with a 48 to 7 victory. They improved to 3 and 0 and they now head into Pac-12 week 1 uh, next week when they host Arizona. Um, and they're looking like the league's best team by far. Uh, but this was a game in which probably a tale of two halves. Um, I've got some some thoughts about how Oregon played, how Oregon looked in this one. But before we get to that, uh, I think we need to address the Anthony Brown injury because this is probably the biggest story that comes out of this football game. Uh, Oregon starting quarterback Anthony Brown suffered what was some kind of an injury. We don't even really know the extent, you know, what exactly it was, but he suffers an injury in the first half. We're assuming it comes when uh, he gets hurt hit a couple times in some sacks uh, and doesn't return in the game. That is not on the bench in the second half. And Ty Thompson becomes the second quarterback on this roster. And, and guys, let's first and foremost, let's look at the Anthony Brown injury to Oregon. How, Eric, how concerning is this right now? Are you, are you in a place right now where it's, oh boy, this is bad news? Or are you kind of taking a wait and see approach? It's not good news when your starting quarterback doesn't come back in the second half and there's no clarity from the head coach as to why. Um, you know, we, we found a lot of – I thought we tried to press him a little bit and kind of even when the injury took place, what hit it might have been to try to get an idea of even kind of what part of the body this was. Um, you know, you read online, some people are saying it might have been something to his knee. And if you know his history with his his knee, that's not good. He suffered torn ACLs in both of them. And there's people that are thinking it might be upper body stuff, which just kind of looked like where the contact took place. Um, and, but again, there's no clarity because we didn't see Anthony Brown. I don't know if that, maybe that was part of it. They didn't want to show where he was hurt, um, or whatnot. And, and Mario did say they, they thought he, he tried to kind of present it like it was a positive thing in terms of, they thought that if it was needed to plumb back, he would come back. Like, they don't think it's a serious injury at the same time. Well, yeah, I mean, again, we're just kind of reacting to this live. I think we'll get some more information hopefully on Monday from Mario. But right now, there's really no clarity as to what's going on with Anthony Brown other than he didn't play in that half football and that Oregon's aware of it and that Ty Thompson did. So um, that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, I wouldn't, I guess, be fair for me to have a huge knee-jerk reaction and, and to project what's happening with Anthony until we have more information. But I will say that um, if this is a long-term injury, this is very, very significant. Is obviously the most important position on the team. Oregon is wanting to compete for a national championship, and it feels a lot different to expect an 18- or 19-year-old Ty Thompson to go out there and lead you to that kind of a season than it is to expect Anthony Brown to do so, who's already shown in, in a couple of games here that he can beat Ohio State on the road. And we should know mm -hmm. that this was Anthony Brown's best game yet in the first half. I know there were some, honestly, some kind of perplexing perspectives on DuckTerritory.com and how he had played really poorly. I don't understand that. He was 14 for 18 for 159 yards, a touchdown pass, and a rushing touchdown. Um, I know there's questions about the ability to get the ball down the field. Um, I understand those points. I think there's some validity to that. He hasn't really shown that a ton thus far. 
at the same time, you go back and see what he did at Boston College. That was not a weakness. That was a strength. So um, Anthony Brown is the best quarterback on this team. He's the reason he's starting games. And those that are suggesting that somehow they're better off with Ty Thompson for the long term, I think you're full of bunk and you need to really kind of reconsider your perspective on things because you're talking about a true freshman who, sure, he looked great in this game. I don't want to take anything away from Ty. We'll talk about that more. But Anthony Brown is the starter on this team for a reason, and he just led them to win over Ohio State. It seems pretty knee-jerk to somehow suggest this is a good thing for Oregon. Jared, you, seeing – I think you were the one the first to bring this up in our pregame show was you really wanted to see what this team had at quarterback behind Anthony Brown. This is why this game was so important to get Ty Thompson, get other guys on the field as, you know, and get some significant snaps. Unfortunately, Ty probably got in there a little earlier than we were all expecting because of injury. Um, but your thoughts on just what we saw from Ty in about a quarter and a half's worth of work? Yeah, he got in way earlier than I had anticipated. Um, I really, honestly, the only way I saw Ty coming in was if Oregon had somewhat of the second half score with Anthony Brown at the helm. So, yeah, he comes in earlier, but first couple of drives, they really didn't they didn't show anything with Ty Thompson. Um, he had a touchdown pass to Terrence Ferguson, a nice little pop pass to like a, on, a, on an RPO, which was great. It was a good little read, but later on, they actually let him throw. Um, he had a couple, he had one series in particular where he had, where he, you, you saw like the highlights that he could present. He had a pass interference call to Devin Williams, which had there not been a pass interference where Williams was held going on a deep ball. That might've been a, a reception. It might've even been a touchdown. Uh, the very next play was another throw out to the sideline to Chris Hudson for what probably would have been a, a 12, 15 yard gain, but Hudson takes his eye off it, drops it. Um, but you, you know, you see the talent, you see the, the 54 yard touchdown to Dante Thornton, Dante Thornton's first career reception, first career touchdown. Um, a lot of that might have been just Dante Thornton being significantly better than the second and third string players on Stony Brook. But still, like that arm strength to go across the field and hit Thornton right in the chest and give him a chance to make an opportunity with the ball. You know, that's that's what you expected to see from Ty. That's what you saw in the first scrimmage two months ago. Um, he's and I Again, I wanted to see what Ty Thompson could do, what Jay Butterfield could do, what Robbie Ashford could do, because we just haven't seen it. You know, whenever we were in practice in, in fall camp, the only thing we got to see were throwing drills and just nonchalant routes from the from the wide receivers. And but now that we finally get to see it, you do see the potential in Ty Thompson down the road. However, to answer your question you proposed to Eric, this is this is significant. This is a bad thing. You know, Anthony <laughs> Brown has it's it's bad. I mean, he's your starting quarterback. You just went on the road with him and beat Ohio State in Columbus. Like the narrative that Anthony Brown isn't good is very silly. He had a great game today. If you, if you hypothetically, if he plays the whole second half, I don't think the score is going to look any different than it did with Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield playing. So this is something to keep an eye on moving forward. Uh, the loss of Anthony Brown with a significant hypothetically, if he's gone for multiple weeks, it's not great. I mean, not, no disrespect to Ty. He's a good quarterback, but right now, you would, as as a member of the team, or hopefully as a fan, you would feel more confident with Anthony Brown going forward than you would with Thompson. How are we feeling about this game and the fact that Oregon won forty-eight to seven? Because 
on duckterritory.com throughout the middle of the game on, on our game thread, a ton of duck fans talking about this one, having back and forth discussion. And it was pretty, pretty loaded with disappointment. Um, Twitter was much of the same. Uh, I don't know about you guys. If, if you've got you know buddies that you're friends with that are fans and they're texting back and forth and you're in that chain too. But on my phone, I, you know, I get home and I'm scrolling through the text messages and my friends are, are disappointed and whatnot. And I don't understand why. And it, it, it's unfortunate that for whatever reason, this fan base looks at um, football games through a lens that that's not fair, that the expectation that this team has to score 56 points in the first half for it to be a good game. Um, and, or they view a 60 minute football game through a 30 minute lens and make judgments on what happens in the first 30 minutes for over a 60 minute period. Like Oregon, Oregon came into this one as a 42 point favorite and they won by 41 and yeah, they didn't cover, but it's cause they, they were one point shy of 42, like to cover. They went three straight quarters without allowing any kind of points for Stony Brook. Their defense forced four turnovers with two minutes to go in the fourth quarter when like 75% of the defense that was out there were walk-ons. Oregon's defense was had allowed less than 250 yards of total offense. Their starting quarterback got hurt in the first half and they scored 31 points opposed to the 17 with him. And it wasn't like the offense didn't play well in the first half either. Like Anthony Brown was like Jared said, terrific. So I walk out of that game thinking like, yeah, did they play perfect? Absolutely not. Like they even said it themselves. They owned it. That, you know, Cristobal said the first half performance up front on the offensive line. And I think he also included the D line was subpar, but Football is not played in a 30-minute increment. It's a 60-minute game, and for 60 minutes, when you look at the whole scope of this game, they were straight-up dominant in a game in which they played, like, C-plus, B-minus performance. No, I think the big takeaway, Matt, is is that the first half was not great, but the second half was exactly what you wanted to see. And I think if you were to play that – say if they play that game and they play the second half for all four quarters, if any, people are griping then, I don't know what you expect because that was about as good of a second half, about as dominant performance you can ask for. And, again, a lot of young players out there, a lot of young players out there throughout the game. You know, you talk about the end of the game, a lot of walk-ons, a lot of young players, certainly a ton of those guys at the end of the game. But there was – uh, there were true freshmen playing Will Linebacker throughout the game. There were walk-ons mm-hmm. at Will Linebacker throughout the game. There were, um, you know, players on the defensive front that Suave Pody had a sack, I think, in the first half. That's a guy who hadn't played, a, I don't think, a real snap of football in a while. I mean, Oregon was down a lot of players. Um, and I thought played pretty darn good in that second half. Post to perfect, honestly. Um, but I understand, and I understand the concerns about a first half because after an Ohio State game, that is so impressive. The expectations get boosted up to a place that's unfair and a place where really only perfection matters or perfection equates to what you want to get out of a game. And the first half wasn't that. The first half wasn't particularly pretty. Um, at the same time, like straight up, you're up 17-7. The defense plays really good besides one drive, which is a sustained drive, which I know people don't like to see. And the offense sputters a couple times but really for the most part moves it really consistently and doesn't turn the ball over a couple sacks at the end of the half kind of make it feel a little more wishy-washy but 
it wasn't the worst half of ball Oregon could play. It was against an FCS opponent, so being up 10 points doesn't feel good. Um, but I just think you have to check expectations to a certain point of view. And, and I think if you go back and rewatch the game, that second half was really special and I thought really mm -hmm. fantastic. And I know it's Sony Brook. It's not – I was going to say it's not Arizona, but maybe Sony Brook's better than Arizona because as we're recording, <laughs> Arizona's just lost to Northern Arizona. And I think it's very possible, probably plausible, that Arizona doesn't win a football game all season. Um, but my point is just like I, I, I get the expectation of you're playing Stony Brook. We don't think they're very good. We should this team should be up five scores at half. I think we suggested that they could be up by a lot at half. They didn't happen in the first half, but I thought the way they responded and especially with all the adversity with all the young players in the field to come away from this game being overly disappointed. I think just kind of just check your expectations to a certain point, you know, I, and I know this season has a sort of loaded sentiment because they are now right and squarely in the, in the, you know, in the middle of the college football playoff hunt. And they think every, you know, every game needs to feel like it's, it's perfect and you can't let down, you know, let up at all. And I think that I understand all that, but I don't know. I think if you come away from this game being overly disappointed in the, in the entirety of the game, then you're probably just a little bit off. I understand the first half wasn't great, but second half, I thought they played fantastic. I don't even, it was the first quarter that was an issue. Mm -hmm. Like every uh, the the rest of the game, second quarter on, you know, Oregon dominated on both sides of the ball, especially on defense too. If you look at Stony Brook's drive, they have their one touchdown drive, which is like eleven plays, seventy five yards, and just a good drive. They went down the field, they went a little up tempo, and Oregon had some difficulties in communications and execution in the secondary points, but that was it. That was it. The next drive, or excuse me, two drives later, where there's a red zone interception from Verone McKinley, his second of the game. There's a pass play for 50 yards on a third and 15 from deep inside Stony Brook's territory. If you wipe that play out, just for whatever reason, maybe DJ James doesn't get beat, bad throw, whatever the case may be, that's, that's as far as Stony Brook ever goes down the field again. And so I think that's an important thing to remember is like, yeah, the, the first half, it was more of just, eh, it wasn't great. It wasn't bad. They did their jobs. The offense sputtered, like Eric said, but in general, you know, they, they held Stony Brook down as they should. Uh, they didn't allow them to move the ball at any point during the second half either. I mean, the first three drives of Stony Brook's second half, they had, they have a combined six yards, six and three drives including an interception. So that's where you're looking at where what you wanted to see happen on the defensive side of the ball. And offensively, the first half, Anthony Brown moved it. There were a couple of plays where it just didn't go right and Oregon sputtered and had to punt at points. But I, to, to come away disappointed, I don't think at, at the end of the game, I don't think anybody's disappointed because you look at the score and it's a complete blowout. But to come away disappointed at the end of the first half, it's yeah, there wasn't anything that made you jump for joy, I'm sure. But, you know, it's it's not right to judge a first half when the Oregon wasn't wasn't showing anything in the playbook. They weren't trying to kill Stony Brook like right out of the gates. It it was going to be just a, a, it was basically going to be a letdown no matter what they did, unless they came out and scored 45 in the first half and just were a running gun like Oregon in the old days. But they're not that. And that's OK. It's okay to have a change in philosophies and coaching and things like that, where if you score 17 or 21 points in the first half, it's fine. We, you don't need to score 35. 
you can still win the game with defense in this stage. They're three and up, and this is a game in which, well, look, like it's Stony Brook, okay? So I'm not going to sit here and prop this up like Oregon played this juggernaut of a performance, but they didn't have KT. They didn't have Justin Flo. They didn't have Braden Swinson. They didn't have Mace Funa. They didn't have Adrian Jackson. They didn't have Keith Brown in this game uh, on the defensive side of the football. How many of those guys are like starters? All of them, except they have, you know, except for Keith Brown, who was supposed to be a starter, at, because Flo is out for the basically most of the year um, or a significant period of time, and and yet, so they're playing like maybe three or four, five guys of their original oh, starting eleven, and. At some positions, there's walk-ons playing. At other positions, it's like a true freshman that's a safety that's playing another position now. And yet, this defense didn't break. They they went three straight quarters and 270-something yards allowed for the game. And I think Stony Brook was like two of 18 on third down. Like That's hard to do even with your starters in a game against regular competition, you know, and, and I'm not worried about the offense. I don't know if you guys are um, obviously if Anthony Brown's like out for a significant period of time. Um, yeah. Then, then I'm going to be worried about the offense, but it's clear they were holding guys back. Cristobal even said that like Verdell got like seven or eight carries. And this was a game in which they do like, we're not going to risk Verdell getting, hurt in a game for him to maybe try and get 125 yards and two touchdowns to pad his stats for season highlights. And we maybe lose him for two or three games because he gets hit in the third quarter of, of a game. Like it was, it was evident that they were holding guys back um, on both sides of the football. And so I walk out of this thinking like, yeah, Oregon goes into Pac-12 play. They're probably banged up a little bit but probably still have some guys out against Arizona with injury. But seeing how we're recording this Saturday night at 1040 in, in the evening, seeing how the league has gone through the week, third week of the season, there isn't a single team in this conference that I'm scared of for, for Oregon. And I, I think for the first time and however long the league has been around, I can't do math while talking at the same time with 12 teams. There feels like a team that could go undefeated the, the entire way because the league across the board is not good, except for Oregon. I think this is year 10. Yeah. 2011. Um, and, yeah, I don't disagree. Uh, again, I don't know the finals. and Maybe Jared, you could maybe tell me. Did, did Arizona State and UCLA both lose? Were those final? Uh, both those games are still going on. So okay. let me – UCLA is still down nine with 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter. And okay. let me do a quick little so we're doing this live. I'm just trying to get a feel. If, if, or if, if both BYU and um, Fresno State win, the Pac-12 will have one undefeated team through three and weeks. And that's Oregon. And that's Oregon. And that's not a great place to be as a conference. But I will say it does definitely indicate that Oregon should be able to beat anybody. Arizona's losing to an FCS team. They're not. They very lost. Good. They lost. Arizona paid Northern Arizona five hundred grand to come play, <laughs> and then Arizona lost. 
And that's who Oregon's playing next week. Northern Arizona beat an Arizona team at home, and that's who they're playing next week. Like, they might not, you know, they, they should still have, if the injury in my in my eyes, if, if the injury book is like what it is today, next week, they should still do what they did today against Arizona. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. You look at the schedule, it's hard to point to a game where you feel really concerned. Stanford maybe is the, the team you're most impressed with. That's, that's immediately on the schedule. Like, even Cal barely beat Sacramento State. That was 42-30. Um, this conference has just not done a lot that impresses you. I, you know, I mean, we don't have to run through all of it because we want to talk about Oregon. But I, I think you, <laughs> if you come out of Saturday feeling worse about Oregon's chances to, to win a conference championship or to compete for the aspirations we know are out there, I, I think you just need to kind of reevaluate because Oregon is in a really good spot right now. I know this wasn't a perfect performance. I know Stony Brook's not good. And I know the first half was really disappointing for a variety of reasons. And I, and I, and I understand that. Um, but have some perspective. Utah just lost at home to San Diego State. I predicted that, by the way. If you were paying attention to our, our predicting in the pack, these two other bozos didn't see it. I did. <laughs> Give me a pat in the back. But collectively, this conference just has not played very well. And Oregon, I think, is going to enter conference play next week against Arizona and look around and kind of go like, boy, we'd have to really stub our toe bad to drop a game here. Um, you know, and it's not a bad place to be. This could be the first year. Matt's right. This could be the first year you look up and it's a, a zero spot in the loss column for a team going into postseason play. And, and Oregon could be that team. And I know fans will say, I keep, I've seen a couple of things of, of people suggesting this team doesn't feel like it should be a team that can go that far. Or if this is the number four team in the country, like that, this can't be the number four team in the country. Who cares? It really, I don't, I, mean, I, I honestly don't, I really don't care if you don't think they're that good or not. The fact is that they're in a fantastic position to make a run at this and, and everything is falling right. You know, and, and again, if they can get healthy, that's the big concern I have. This could be a pretty straightforward season. I know the conference can get wonky and games on the road can be tough. And Oregon plays a lot of those that are against pretty good teams, but I think this team has shown a lot so far. And, and I know fans want it to be perfect, but go watch the game again. Go enjoy the second half. See what this team looks like when it's all firing. Because the second half ultimately matters more than the first to me. Because I like to see how the team progresses. I like to see the team when it picks up some momentum. I like to see when the game actually matters. And I shouldn't say the first half doesn't matter, but when the game starts to matter more, who wants it more? And Oregon showed that today. Since we're doing this live, BYU just took an 11-point lead over Arizona State with a minute 19 left. So, That's key. So. Yeah, that should be game. That is, uh, yeah, that's that's the state of the Pac-12 right now. Uh, I think for Oregon, the main thing is to to get as healthy as they can be. So whether Justin Flo is out for the remainder of the year, most of the year, maybe you don't, you know, getting him healthy might not be achievable. But you know, resting Kayvon Thibodeau and Mace Funa, Braden Swinson, Brandon Dorless, all those guys who didn't. Didn't necessarily play tonight. Brandon Dorless did, but very sparingly. Uh, that's the most important thing. And you and you look at this game, and you look at next week against Arizona, and you see opportunities to continue to rest guys and get them the chance to get healthy. And so, and and there always has to be a first, like you guys are saying, there has to be a first somebody to to win the slate in the Pac-12 in the conference play. And we'll see if Oregon can do it. Um, it's the Pac-12. There's always going to be something funky. A trip to Washington State, a trip to Utah. Those aren't easy places to win for anybody. Um, but if there's a team within the conference, it's got to be Oregon at this point. What are our thoughts on the young guys? Um, Crystal Ball made a comment that 
about 80 players for Oregon played in this game. Eric, you made you pointed out how looking at the participation chart, it's about twice as long as it normally looks. Um, they exhausted probably about every possible player that could play probably got into the game um, mm -hmm. who was available and made ready to play. Uh, there was a handful of guys that were out of uniform that didn't suit up. Uh, and that's for, you know, various reasons. Um, so about every guy that was available played. So any big takeaways from some extended action? I mean, we, we got to see not only Ty Thompson play at quarterback, but we also got to see Jay Butterfield play at quarterback. Um, any, any big thoughts, big picture thoughts on this team and some of the younger guys that we got to see play? I don't think anybody looked out of – you know, I don't think anybody looked like they didn't belong, I guess. I don't think anybody looked like this was too big for them. You know, I think I was pretty darn impressed with all the skill guys on offense. You think about the way mm – -hmm. and this is the first time we'd see Trey Benson. He gets in the end zone. You think about Byron Cardwell and Seven McGee each had some nice runs around the goal line. Oregon played all three of them a couple times on one drive. Um, and then Dante Thornton, of course, with the 54-yard touchdown, really impressed – with the way he ran down the sideline, the, the, his ability to run without the football. And the, one of my close buddies was watching the game saying, I think that might be my new favorite player, you know, just because of how <laughs> dynamic he was and just how exciting it is to have a receiver like that who can run like that. Because Oregon doesn't have a lot of players historically who have those kind of frames and that acceleration. Um, and so, like, that was impressive. I thought the freshman tight ends, again, played really well. We should note, for the first half, Jared, you, Jared and I tried to track snap counts here. Um, mm -hmm. I think Maliki Matavajo and Terrence Ferguson played a lot more than Spencer Webb did in the first half, especially. I don't know what you're, if you have a final count there, Jared, but I mean, there was a time in the first half where it was like they had to combine maybe 18 to 20 snaps and Webb had only played three to four. Um, do you have updated snap counts on those? Yeah, I have. I didn't take counts of Webb, okay. but uh, Ferguson and Matavajo played just a hair under 60 combined snaps. So, Oregon, Oregon played. Oregon had 69 total plays, and they were probably in 12 personnel, which means two tight ends a little bit. But that tells you right yeah. there that that Spencer Webb didn't play a lot. Cooper Schultz also played. Cooper Schultz quarter. played at the end of the game. Yeah. So I mean, I think uh, you look. Oh, go ahead. I was just yeah. going to say, look at the tight ends, and you go like the younger guys kind of have taken a lot of the snaps from the older guys. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And I, I think that's. I think there's two reasons behind that. One, I think it's DJ Johnson was playing tight end, or excuse me, was playing defensive end today exclusively, never saw the field on offense. And I do kind of wonder if, if, if Mario Cristobal and company, if they wanted to keep Spencer Webb off the field just in case of risking an injury for a starter. Um, he could have been dealing with that, an injury of his own. I mean, we don't know. Right. We don't know. He did see the field, um, but – compared to to how, how often he saw the field against Ohio State, it was just a handful of times. But yeah, the the the, the tight end duo of Ferguson and Montevajo is is great. You know, they both provide some similar skill sets, but when you look at them overall as two players, they're almost completely different. You know, Ferguson is more of a receiving tight end while while Montevajo can block and go out but get a pass. But from from the freshman, Troy Franklin had a good day. Um all the running backs, I really liked how Trey Benson and Byron Cardwell run. Like you, you look at those two guys and you saw how they ran downhill, similar to like a CJ Verdell type. And you begin to see why a lot of people on the team and the coaches were hyping them up in fall camp. Um, but then the, the offensive line and basically for the last half, 
or last three quarters of the fourth quarter was all guys who basically don't play. Uh, Kingsley Suamataya played, Jackson Paris Johnson, Marcus Harper, Feope, uh, Jalen Jeffers all played in that in that starting five. Uh, so I, that was a fun thing to watch too because those guys have been highly talked about during fall camp. And you, at this point, you just want to see how they perform because you haven't seen them at all, like I was saying, about Ty Thompson, Robbie Ashford, and Jay Butterfield. You didn't see them in, in fall camp except for that one lone scrimmage. So it's just fun to see all of those guys get out on the field, start to make an impact. Last one, I have one more. I almost forgot about him. Brandon Buckner. Yeah. Brandon Buckner, you, he saw just a hair bit of time against Ohio State, but he he played a lot today against Stony Brook. And in the fourth quarter, he had a tackle for loss. He was, I think he had a quarterback hit too. He was really making an impact on the defensive line. So I think that's just something to see if he plays any more this season. I was going to run through some other defensive stuff because I tracked snaps there. I had Buckner mm -hmm. at 15 snaps, which actually feels a little low, but hey, that's where we ended up with. I had Bossa at 18 snaps. Interestingly enough, at Will, because I think we were, I was just basically watching Will the whole game and see he was playing there. Hukliani did play quite a bit next to Sewell. Um, I didn't track his snap counts. I wish I would have done that in retrospect, but I had Boss at 18, McNeil at six, and then Micah Roth, a walk on, played 11 snaps. He actually played more. Dan McNeil, which is, I think, a little bit unexpected because McNeil was the second team uh, player on the depth chart where that was released. So, you know, of the true freshmen, Keith Brown, again, did not play in this game at all. One snap. He was listed as a starter, did not play. Um, still obviously dealing with what was described as a cramp in his hamstring. I think pretty clearly now more than a, a cramp. Mario did say at one point it was a minor strain and also a cramp. So <laughs> let's, let's lean towards it actually being a strain, not a cramp um, fully. So, um it's interesting to see it will though. I mean, they they rotated between a bunch of young guys. They played walk-ons out there. None of them played poorly. Um, and I think you know there were certainly mistakes made. I think the longest first half Stony Brook run came on a bad run fit by Brandon Buckner, um, or maybe that was a different play because I know Noah Sewell also missed a hole too on a run fit. But there are a couple of misses by Oregon's linebackers that led to big plays. But overall, I thought the backers played pretty darn good considering who all was out. I mean, they, they were missing as we've run through. We don't have to get into all of it. I mean, they're missing six to seven, probably of their top 10 to 15, 10 to 12 linebackers um, mm -hmm. for various reasons with various injuries um, of, of various severity. And so some of them are going to be back soon. Some of them aren't, but I think you got a glimpse of what this linebacker group can look like. Personally, it would have been great to see Keith Brown get a whole game. I think of snaps because we think he's the full-time will going forward. Um, so it, from a certain perspective, I think you kind of lost a little opportunity to give him that. Um, but all in all, you have to be really pleased, I think, with just the way this play game played out from the true freshman perspective. I think based upon the way this game played, I have to go look through the participation port totally. I think basically every single player from 2021 played in this game that could that wasn't hurt. So I mean, that sort of tells you the amount of players that got in there. I think to echo, Eric, what you said, and also probably what Jared, I think Jared also said this, um, all the freshmen look like they belonged. Like there wasn't a, a guy out there, I think, that um, at least from first glance where we see that play out and a play goes and we're like, boy, that was, eesh, how are they going to, how are they going to keep this guy on the field? Or he's not ready for, you know, snaps. Like he's just not there yet. Like every freshman looked like he belonged. And mm -hmm. I, I think there is an expectation, an unfair expectation among every fan base, not just at Oregon, but freshmen show up, 
highly regarded guys, and you just instantly expect these guys to state take starting jobs, even if like at receiver, like seeing Dante Thornton catch that pass, turn the corner, get a great block from Troy Franklin, and go the distance for a score was awesome. But it's obvious too when you watch Dante Thornton, we've seen him him play this season, like he has really bright moments like that one. That was his first career catch. That was also his first career touchdown, obviously. Um, but there are just little things that freshmen have to get caught up to speed on. And no matter how talented or highly regarded they are coming out of high school, it takes uh, some guys a little bit longer to, to kind of turn that corner, that light to, to turn on for them. And they really didn't start producing on the football field. Uh, we're seeing it happen quicker than others. Like at tight end, like Eric mentioned, uh, the two true freshman tight ends have basically eaten away a lot of snaps for from the veteran guys. You know, DJ Johnson was a starter last season for Oregon and is now basically regulated to playing third down defensive end and a little bit of uh, tight end for Oregon. Spencer Webb has seen his snaps significantly decrease the last two games, and that's because uh, Maliki Matavo and Terrence Ferguson are playing more and more. And it's, it's showing why they're playing more and more on the field because they're, they're dudes. But seeing these freshmen, I feel very good about the long-term prospectus of this team, just as like I do about the short-term prospectus of this team. Like The receivers next year for Oregon could be significantly upgraded, and that's not to say that this year's team isn't good at all because I like what Pittman – I like what Chris Hudson, Johnny Johnson, uh, what they're doing as starters. It's it's a very good time to be an Oregon Duck football fan because of the current talent that's playing a bulk of the, the snaps, and then the young guys that we just got to see today. Let's. I think we need to just give a couple minutes on Ty Thompson before we get out because I think sure. we kind of <laughs> fast forwarded through some of that, and we talked a lot about freshman uh, wide receiver and running back tight end and on defense. But Thompson is, I think, aside from the uncertainty at quarterback is the big story right now. Yeah. Um, I thought he was great. Six for nine. I think a couple of those incompletions, one of them was a drop. Um, there was another one that was pretty good coverage, I thought, but he threw the ball in a good spot. I mean, I just think overall, like there wasn't really a play that stood out and go, oh, there's your freshman mistake. Again, yeah. he was sharp. And he was decisive. And that's the thing that Mario Cristobal has been. It's pretty clear what they like and what they want from a young quarterback. And one of the top things is composure. And the other top thing is, is just decisiveness, is knowing where to go with the football. And I think you saw both those things on display. It didn't seem like the offense really missed a beat. And again, I'm not saying Anthony Brown is in inferior quarterback or that they're on even footing. I'm just saying it didn't feel like the offense was under poor leadership when a true freshman was on the field. And that's notable. This is his first time playing at this level. And it didn't seem like the lights were too bright. And it seemed like he went out there and played confident football. They, I, I appreciated the fact that they let the running game kind of lead the offense for a bit there. He didn't really have to throw the ball too much early on on those drives. You know, the first drive he... He leads down there is run, 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 get the ball to the one-yard line. They set up a pass to Terrence Ferguson because of so much success with the run. Um, again, that's the way this team is going to operate, is going to be run runs to set up the pass. You know, it's not your traditional looking play-action offense, but it is an offense that is set up in terms of the passing game by its run. And you saw that. And I was I thought that was a nice way to kind of introduce him to the game, set up that run game, which is going to just continue to, I think, 
um, flourish and get better as the season goes on. But against Sony Book in particular, they just didn't have an answer. And they get the ball down to the one-yard line, and you let Ty Thompson just kind of an easy throw to Ferguson for his first touchdown. And we went from there, and it didn't get any worse. And even when Jay Butterfield came in late, he didn't look bad either. I think this these two young quarterbacks, you can see why this is a really, really exciting, you know, Matt said prospectus for the future of the, of the team. I think that's the case in part because you feel really good about the young quarterbacks. And I know we want to see a lot more. This is one half for these two guys. But early indications are very positive. And, again, this might matter more in the short term than we thought it would because who knows what the status of Anthony Brown is going forward. Yeah, I agree. Was, Go ahead, Jared. Yeah. No, I was just going to say it was it was it was good to see Ty Thompson out there. Um, you hope Anthony Brown is 100 percent healthy coming next week against Arizona. But it was just, you know, like there's been a lot of hype around him. He's Oregon's highest rated recruiting quarterback that they've ever signed. That's um, a it's a big name. And he, he performed. He had I think he only had one fresh mistake. It was on a sack. I think he probably held on to the ball rather than handing it off. It happens, you know, he, this, again, this is literally his first collegiate experience and it's all like on a whim where Brown gets hurt and, you know, Cristobal has to come up and tell Thompson that he's going in, but he played well, you know, he has zip on his, on his passes. You can see just the natural talent there. Um, you know, I wish that he threw the ball more, but he, you know, he attempted nine passes, but then again, like Eric, like you were just saying this, this offense, runs off of their running attack and it sets up their pass. So Brown only had 18 attempts in the first half. The fact that Thompson had half of that in less than half the time, you know, like they were, they were thrown with him no matter what. So yeah, it was good to see him. Um, you know, you'd like to see him more just because of how talented he is. But if Anthony Brown is healthy, like that's the guy who should be playing more. Not that anyone's going to be caring because this is a recorded show, but uh, I, just, I just saw it too. I just UCLA saw it is now in the lead against uh -huh. against Fresno State, so possibly some good news there for the conference. <laughs> Maybe uh, who knows? Maybe. Bruins we'll can see. hold on. Um, uh, podcasting. Yeah, <laughs> Ty Thompson. I thought his throw to Dante Thornton um, that was a rifle. Like that was a throw. It was picture perfect. Perfect form put it right on the money. Um, you can see that this guy has the talent to be pretty special. Um, I thought a couple times early on in the game, uh, it was evident that, hey, he, this is why he's the number two, and Anthony Brown's probably the number one. Um, there were a couple of decisive moments, whether it was a zone read or him throwing the football or maybe attempting uh, to throw a football in a spot maybe he shouldn't have. But the talent is there, and these are the games where you need to get him out there to do what he did and give him some opportunities to throw. That's what they didn't do with Tyler Shuck, um, with Justin Herbert in 2018 and in 2019. Um, I don't think they maximized their opportunities to get Shuck legitimate reps. Um, I also – so I, I was happy with that. I also really quickly want to point out Jackson Powers Johnson got some reps at right guard when – the rest of the starting offensive line was in there. And I thought that was pretty notable. Um, mm -hmm. Don't know why Ryan Walk came off the field. I, I think personally, if, if you ask me for the first two games, two and a half games of the year, who has been Oregon's best offensive lineman, it's Ryan Walk. Um, so it, 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 in my eyes, it's not like a, a – it wasn't – shouldn't have been a downgrade for – 
for Waka getting benched or anything. But I just th- I thought that was notable that they had four starters plus Jackson Powers Johnson in there at, at um, right guard. And then he eventually moved over to that center position when they pulled out Forsyth and the rest of the offensive line. But I think that's a notable thing. Um, it's clearly evident that we all focused on Kingsley Soamatia um, when he signed with Oregon. I was very adamant that I thought Kingsley would end up taking a starting spot away from somebody. Um, but it's it, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I think it's clearly evident. Uh, among the freshman offensive linemen, Jackson Powers Johnson is the one that's the highest up on the depth chart right now and um, probably the guy that's got the most confidence with the staff to play. And I think that's pretty telling um, that he he's forcing himself into this rotation just a little bit. Let me let me just really quick, Matt, to hypothesize here. I'm guessing he's out there because Stephen Jones got nicked up in this game. He is the second right guard typically. Yeah. And they felt, hey, let's see what – Jackson Powers Jones Johnson is, I'm guessing, is the next in line at one of those guard spots. Let's see how he performs with the starters in case Jones is out for a while. He can be someone to fill in. That'd be my guess. That's a good point. And yeah. and Cristobal did say uh, he was asked about other guys that got hurt. Um, Troy Franklin being a freshman receiver on Dante Thornton's touchdown looked like a cheap shot uh, by Stony Brook to the head. Of Franklin, also Stephen Jones, yeah. he left the game, um, went back to the you know back to the locker room. I don't think he ever re- really returned. Um, Crystal Ball sounded optimistic that both guys should be fine. Um, nothing really there to worry about. But as we've learned in the four years of covering Mario Crystal Ball, that you know he'll get it to us. Yeah, he'll get it. He'll to learn. Us. We'll um, learn. We'll get it. One sometimes day. it's and like I, I get it. They're not going to come out and. and be 100% Fort Wright when they absolutely have to. But, you know, at least right now, things are, in Crystal Ball's eyes, okay for those two players. And um, we should point out that it doesn't look like there are any real serious injuries as well uh, for this team, which probably was, you know, outside of Anthony Brown, um, I should say. Uh, but probably your biggest you know worry going into this one is you play this game you don't want to see multiple guys go down with major injuries so um you knock on wood that anthony brown is healthy ready to go next week against arizona um we'll have full coverage of that game leading up to it on duckterritory.com we've got a ton of stuff up on duckterritory.com already of stony brook um so go check that out as well and we will be back on Monday with a mailbag. So start sending your questions in. Use hashtag Ots and Audibles uh, to help us find your, your, your questions on social media if you hit us up there. Uh, and until Monday, you've been listening to the Ots and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.